Hey listeners, welcome to the Cloud9 podcast uh, sponsored by CloudTask. I'm Michael Hansen, the VP of Europe at CloudTask, and today I am joined by a very special guest called Michael Redford, who has been at HubSpot for a very long time. I'm sure you all know who HubSpot is. Um, so Michael, over to you to uh, introduce yourself and, and tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. Thrilled to be here, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Hello, listeners. Uh, so I work at a company called HubSpot, and you guys probably have heard of us. We create software for small and medium-sized businesses, sales software, marketing software, and service software. For me, I've been at HubSpot for a long time. The company is about uh, 13 years old. I've been here for almost 10. And really, my, my tradecraft, guys, is that I am a success person. I am a support person. I am a customer person. That's what I am a practitioner of. Nowadays, I'm helping build our service uh, software product line, but you know I help scale our support team from you know just 50 folks into the hundreds. Uh, I scaled our customer base, you know, from pre-IPO and a bridge round through an IP, through that IPO and being a public company. Um, so really, my experience is in scaling customer teams, building customer teams, and trying to deliver an excellent customer experience so your customers turn into your best marketers. That's what I'm passionate about, anyway. Awesome, Michael. No, very, uh, very impressive background there. Um, so yeah, one of the things you mentioned, you know, about scaling uh, HubSpot's team, customer support team and success, you know, from, from 50 to 700, and I'm sure it's, it's still growing now is, is kind of a pain we felt at, at CloudTask, you know, that there's that thing about, you know, hyper growth, can, can you grow too quickly? And we've kind of seen that we've gone from about 10 employees to 200. So I was wondering, what were the biggest challenges you faced as you scaled um, the customer support and success team? And how did you get over those challenges? Yeah, it's a good question because I think that every company's challenges are a little bit different. And at a macro level, the hardest thing is figuring out where to put your energy and where to invest your calories. Because when you're in that state of hyper growth, it just seems like everything is breaking all the time, right? And for any solution that you have, any system that you have, any team that you have, all you have to do is look forward a week or a month or maybe two months if things are going really well. And you see, you know, doom and gloom and destruction and how, how everything's going to break. And so in that world where you're growing so quickly that things are just you know breaking very very fast how do you choose what to work on and the decision that we made at HubSpot of what to prioritize there was an interesting one and it ended up serving us well I don't know for the listeners it'll serve them well but it served us well and the answer was really really focus on the team really really get superbly good best in the world at hiring training development and building leadership skills and when, when we were really hyperscaling, you know, in, in the years before our IPO, uh, that's what we got good at. Frankly, we got good at it inadvertently in some ways. They were just kind of the loudest problems. But in retrospect, because we built a because we hired great people, because we built a great bench for leadership, and because we invested in building really good leaders out of that bench, that's what enabled us to scale. Sure, our systems were always breaking. Uh, we had customer issues, you know, through that, but I think the thing that actually got us through it was the quality of our employee base and the quality of our bench for leadership. Awesome. So I, one of the things as well is I, I noticed that I think you've got several kind of bases now. So you've got Boston is obviously your HQ in the US. You've got Dublin in Europe and you've also got Singapore in Asia. How did you kind of unite all those offices? Because obviously you've got very different cultures as well. 
Yeah, I was talking to a uh, to someone who runs a success organization of like 15, 16 people who was in this hypergrowth series talking to her on on Monday. And we were talking about that change sort of where you go from one office and things are relatively well contained to this truly global organization, you know, where, where you have not only different cultures and, and time zones, but just very different customer bases too. And I think there's a really big difference between a company that is sort of provincially minded, maybe have a couple satellite offices, but basically you're in one region. Maybe you're in just the Americas or just Western Europe versus on the other side, you have a company that is, you know, truly global and, you know, uh, I think much more sophisticated in, in a number of ways. Make, making that change is a true sea change for an organization. It's one of the most important, I think, moments as, as you scale is going from that provincially minded small organization to that truly globally minded large one. So for us, you know, we, we opened up our first international office in Ireland. Uh, we decided to make it a, for lack of a better term, full stack office. So it was salespeople, service people, support, success, engineering, we're a software company. So full stack, all functions were represented there. It was not a satellite. Um, and, you know, nowadays that's our, that's our European, sort, that's our EMEA headquarters, right? And we do have some other smaller offices, places like Paris and Berlin, things like that. I think that we made the right call to make it a true full stack office because it made it a first class citizen. It wasn't like, oh, we're doing this strange thing over there. It was a really important um, you know, investment for the company. Uh, and leadership spent a ton of time on it. I personally spent a lot of time building out that office. I did all of the phone screens for the initial uh, hiring team there. I spent weeks at a time training the team, building the team when I was our director of support back in 2013. Um, that investment, I think, set it up for success on the long term, along with a number of good hiring decisions in terms of local leaders. We hired an amazingly good recruiter um, who helped us build that team as well. So I think it's just a huge difference in the before and after of going global. Um, and again, I think it's about the people and about the time you spend and the focus you apply. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Dublin's an interesting place at the moment. A lot of uh, tech companies like yourself obviously are out there. So very interesting space. So one of the, the reasons we, we got you in, Michael, is we read your um, state of customer service in 2019 report, which, which we thought was amazing. Um, what are some of the, the main findings you, you guys wrote about in that report? Yeah, so th that report was really an attempt to be a survey of, you know, not only businesses and the way that they work with their um, customers, but also the way the customer experience works. And I think the relationship between the two is very interesting. So just as one data point, you know, we found that about half of small and medium sized businesses, so we're talking, you know, five employees up through maybe a thousand or two thousand uh, small and medium sized businesses, about half of them are not collecting customer feedback, are not listening to their customers. And even if they do, they're, they're certainly not actioning it, right? And so they're basically doing a bad job, I would say, at the conversation between company and customer. And that's really interesting because I think a lot of us talk the talk. Oh, we're all customer first. Oh, we listen to our customers. Oh, you know, like whatever, right? Well, in reality, it's not happening. But I think when I put on my consumer hat, when I think as a customer, that's actually not a shock, right? So when I think about a being a customer, most businesses I work with don't listen to my feedback. When I submit a survey through an email or on a website, I don't typically get a response. And one of the factors that we found then is half of businesses are bad at this. Only 12% of customers actually trust businesses, just in general. Like when a business says that they're customer first, only 12% actually believe it. And so there's a very interesting dynamic happening in the market at a macro level, which is that companies know they should be customer first. 
companies are struggling to do it and failing to do it, and it's breaking trust with customers. And that's just a really interesting backdrop for anybody trying to grow their business, which of course requires getting more customers and keeping the customers that you have, is that we don't trust, right? We're, and on top of that, you know, there's sort of other macro trends, like we're very impatient, we want everything now. But at the core of it, I think, is that we, we don't trust businesses, we don't trust governments, we don't trust each other in, in some ways. And I think that there's a, there's a covenant here between business and customer that is being broken right now and could really be improved by listening to better feedback and really walking the walk on the customer first talk track. For sure. So, you, you know, you're mentioning something very important there, um, customer first and, and building trust. Um, with your customers, what do you think are some of the, the best um, practices and kind of secret sauce in order to do that? Yeah, so this is where this is where the answer gets harder, right? Uh, for our listeners who are trying to do this, um, the, the problem is you have to actually do the work, and there, there there isn't a shortcut, and it's not like you can just build a bot and all of a sudden you build trust. Like that's really not how it happens. Trust is a very deeply rooted kind of human sentiment and emotion. And it's hard to build and easy to break. And for me, the way you build trust is really through one-on-one -on -one interactions. And you, know, you can build trust through brand, but that only gets you so far. You can build trust through automation and low touch and self-service, that, that's good, but does it really get to the core of what human beings think of as trust? The way you trust your family, the way you trust your best friend, like no, right? And if you actually want to start getting into that other arena of real trust, it really involves a human to human interaction. And I think by the way, real trust is how businesses build moats. It's how you defend yourself from the competition. It's how you win nowadays when customers have so many choices and it's very easy to switch and, and leave you as a vendor and go to somebody else. So I think you actually have to put in the work. I think you have to engage with your customers one-on-one. -on -one. You have to proactively you know, help them see value through your service or products. Um, and that, to be honest, is a somewhat expensive proposition because it involves human beings doing things, right? And I think for companies that uh, are trying to scale, which is basically most of us, right? You have to be very, very wise then about how you invest that, um, you know, invest on your P&L in order to get the most juice out of, out of your human beings and create the most trust. Because I think that's really where the rubber meets the road is on the one-to-one -one interaction. Yeah, 100%. And I think what, what I've noticed as well is a lot of people are kind of investing in, in you know, omni-channel solutions um, to give a better customer experience, but what can often happen is if, you, if you're providing a load of channels, but a bad experience on all of them, it's actually better to nail down on you know, two or three of them and, and provide a good experience. So as you were scaling your, the customer support team over at HubSpot, how did you decide you know, which channels to use and, and to make sure there weren't kind of silos between those channels to, to have a negative customer experience? Yeah, I think that's a really important observation that it's better to do, you know, one or two channels superbly rather than 10 channels mediocrely. Everybody can do channels mediocrely. I can have kind of meh chat or, you know, make you wait 20 minutes for me to pick up the phone. That, that's not hard. It's hard to deliver a top-notch superb experience on any one channel. So I absolutely agree with that sentiment. Um, what we're seeing in, in that research report that you mentioned is that yes, there's an explosion of channels. Um, there's many more channels nowadays that folks use than they used to. It's kind of no surprise to anybody paying attention. I think maybe there are one or two other things in there that were really interesting to us. One is that when a new channel appears, right, and say it's like Facebook Messenger or I don't know, like a, 
yeah, let's just take Facebook Messenger, for example. So when Facebook Messenger appears, it doesn't just appear and get used by customers. It gets used by prospects. It gets used by people in the sales cycle. So all throughout the marketing, sales, and service kind of cycle, it gets used. And that doesn't kind of, if you really step back and think about it, that shouldn't surprise you because it's the same people. It's the same human beings that are first your prospects, then your leads, and your customers. And of course, if they want to use Facebook Messenger, they're going to do it throughout the process. I think a lot of the places where businesses go wrong is say, okay, we'll do Facebook Messenger you know, when you're a prospect and we'll interact with you on Facebook in that way. Once you're a customer, you got to call us or you have to, you know, you have to chat with us uh, on our website. And then it gets weird because it's a choppy experience. So it breaks the trust, I think, uh, between the business and the customer to say, okay, now you're treating me differently. I used to have something. You took it away when I started paying you money, right? So channels do tend to thread themselves throughout the life cycle, which is really interesting. The second thing that we're seeing that I think is um, worth noting is that, yep, many more channels. Yep, they're, um, they're kind of uh, throughout the life cycle. The third is that old channels are not disappearing. When we did research and we said, all right, what percentage of you guys want to get you know, an interaction via the phone? We saw 48% of people in, in a service setting, want the phone. 39% in sales want the phone. So it's not as if Facebook Messenger or live chat or you know, Slack or anything has replaced those other channels. It's really additive. And so you, know, you need to, as a business, understand your customers, understand what they want from you, understand that persona really well, and attempt to match their channel preference with what you do. And when you do match it, it should be about that human being, and you need to thread those channels through marketing, sales, and service, not just say, oh, we do this little bit in service and we do things differently in marketing. It's a full kind of customer experience cycle, not just a, a piece of technology to apply to a specific problem for a specific team. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we're, we're a HubSpot customer ourselves, and uh, I think I've contacted you via most of your channels. I tend to like chat because um, it's, it's kind of interactive, but there's been a couple of times where I actually needed to call your team. I think it was in Dublin because I'm in Europe. And then we got on a phone call and then they actually did a screen share and kind of showed me exactly what I was doing wrong. It was kind of a tiny thing on the system. So, you know, good example of what you're talking about. Yeah, so we actually, um, we do a lot of persona development at HubSpot and we do personas when it comes to support too. It's, personas are a very useful way of, I think, making real this conversation we're having around, oh, like people want different things and what do your people want at your company? You know, what do your customers want? And so for instance, we would call you, Michael, like an internet Ian, right? You're technologically enabled, um, you know, you're relatively savvy in the way that you use technology to communicate with companies. You also are modern in the sense that you don't want to have a synchronous, you know, kind of quote unquote, like heavy interaction via the phone unless you don't want to. And so we have a, a you know, it's kind of a slide that we've built or a document we've created about this internet Ian type and internet Ian likes to have live chat first, right? And then only if that doesn't work, does he actually want to go to, uh, to the phone? And so we've, we've kind of done our research on this and we've put together a vision of a type of customer for us that we now know we can serve well, given our channel mix. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I actually didn't know that. And it's, it's not something I've heard before, obviously kind of, you know, the whole buyer persona is big in marketing. Um, but it's something that, that people don't associate too much with customer support. So that's super interesting. And that, that brings on another point I was thinking about in, in your last topic, because you were saying, you know, Facebook Messenger could be used to do marketing, sales or customer service. So as you've been part of that growth with, you know, the customer support team, how have you, you know, aligned well with your uh, sales and marketing teams at HubSpot? Yeah, we've observed that um, marketers love new channels because it means there's a new pond to go fishing in and more fish to catch, right? And that's a marketer's job is to generate demand. And then when you do that, 
and you kind of start catching fish in a new pond, those fish, those people, those customers start to demand more from you downstream as they start to become customers. So we often let our marketing team kind of lead the way in terms of channels and our service team follows. And you know, what we, what we've seen is that by when we, made some changes to offer folks chat and email and booking a meeting kind of across the life cycle. Um, what we saw from our prospects and our customers was a tremendously huge increase in the amount of engagement that we had. So by matching those channels that they wanted, we saw way more engagement. We actually saw 170% more engagement from our prospects, our leads and our customers by matching those channels. So that's what happened when we opened up chat and email and meetings. And we did, we chose those channels because we did our persona research and thought about how our customers work. So we've seen it work really well. I think there's some mechanisms and operations inside there that are tricky for every business. So for instance, when a marketing person puts out something on Facebook and they get back, you know, 10 support style requests on Facebook Messenger, how do you convert those Facebook Messenger requests into a, an object or a process that your service team can handle? Do they have access to Facebook Messenger themselves? Maybe at larger companies, maybe not. How do you get that into a queue, into a shared inbox that your support team could actually work? So I think at a high level, we've demonstrated that matching what your customers want, understanding that persona works well, the mechanisms within the business and the technology that you use to actually make that happen, I think that is actually the next frontier for many companies of, of you know, really walking the walk on matching channels and understanding how to provide what customers want, when and where they want it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I imagine you're you're probably yourself as a marketing team and learning a lot about your customer and ideal profile from your customer support team. Absolutely, and I think as as companies grow, um, you know, you you tend to you tend to even focus more and more on your customers, right? And so now for us, 60,000 customers across the globe, we're, we're trying to tie together even better what we do in marketing, sales, and, and service. And I think we actually have, you know, some distance to go because our aspirations for this, as you guys can tell, just from listening to the way we're talking here, our aspirations for this at HubSpot is like a truly seamless experience where it doesn't matter if you're a prospect leader customer, you're working with us in the way that you want to work with us. That's the aim that we want to get to, and I would encourage all of our listeners to get to too. For sure. And also to our listeners, I would recommend uh, Googling the flywheel, if you haven't heard of it, uh, online, which was something HubSpot um, came up with. I think it was at last year's inbound, which is rather than talking about the funnel, which is quite linear, talking about, you know, marketing, sales and, and customer support, basically in a circle and growth in the middle, um, which is a really interesting concept that, that HubSpot have developed. And I think a lot of you know, companies now are also um, abiding to that as well. Um, so last, one of the kind of final topics I wanted to talk about was uh, trends, um, you know, within customer service, there's, there's various trends uh, people are talking about as we enter 2020. What do you think are going to be the biggest trends that are going to kind of change customer support in you know, the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I, I love this question because I think as you know, people that care about customers or people that care about just people and the experiences that brands create for us as humans, um, this gets at the crux of it. And so, so my, my thesis on this is that uh, it's, this is happening today, but this is going to intensify over the next, I think just five, 10 years. This is not a 20 or 40 year thing. This is a five, 10 year thing. Um, I think that more and more, the thing that you're competing on is not actually your product. It's not that just simple noun. It's the entirety of the experience of how that product works. And what that means is that in the future, or even happening today, it's less about what you sell and more about how you sell it. So let me give you an example, right? 
I am a big fan of Purple Mattress, right? They're a mattress company. They, they ship mattresses to you. They have an awesome guarantee. They have great service. They have an awesome digital experience. Uh, and and for, for me, I would never go to an old school mattress store. I would never like shop around. I'm just going to buy every mattress the rest of my life from them unless someone else provides a better experience. I actually don't know if Purple has the best mattress, right? Like they, they may well not, but it's certainly good enough for me. I'm, I'm quite happy with it, obviously. I'm sort of advocating for it here. But I do know that they have the best experience around it. And so I think it becomes less about what you sell and more about how you sell it because Purple is winning in a kind of old school industry, mattresses on experience. I look around at the rest of the brands that I use every day. I Warby Parker for my glasses. I listen to Spotify. I get my razors through Dollar Shave Club. I get my, my clothes through Trunk Club. I take Lyft to work. Like all of these brands, it's less about what they sell and more about how they sell it. It's more about the experience. So I view this as actually an awesome opportunity for startups because now you can punch up, you can beat Goliath as David on experience as much as you can on product. I view this as an awesome opportunity for service teams who want to do more for their customers, want to deliver more value uh, faster, right? I think this is just the huge trend of the industry right now. It's all about the experience. It's about not about what you sell, it's about how you sell it. 100%, yeah, and I think that comes back to what we were just talking about, about you know sales and, and customer support, customer experience kind of merging into one because how something is sold is part of the customer experience. I was actually talking um, to Dan Tyre at HubSpot recently, and he was saying how the, the best salesmen have actually become more introverted and they used to be more extroverted and the introverted ones aren't really selling. They just know their, their product very well and they're giving a good user experience to the buyer and not just trying to sell them for the sake of it. So I thought that was, that was quite interesting. Yeah, in, in a world where experience is king, you can't you can't create friction with your buyer. And and the old model of the very extroverted, you know, suit wearing, uh, you know, like uh, sales rep, that actually is quite a frictionful experience for the buyer. It worked back then because buyers didn't have choices, and I think there was just less uh, information available. The kind of company had all the information and all the power. I just think it's really shifted. Your customers have all the power. Your customers have all the information. Need to be helped, and if there's any friction in the experience, they'll run away to somebody who provides a better experience. And, and that's the change that we're seeing. I think there's a massive opportunity for startups, for service teams, uh, to capitalize on that um, to become like a true um, differentiator on experience and to win there. And I'm very excited to see what that does to, you know, even kind of quote unquote boring industries like mattresses and eyeglasses and, you know, um, and, and razors and shavers, right? I think that's actually a really interesting observation that those businesses are getting disrupted on experience too. I can't wait to see what happens in the next five or 10 years. For sure. And kind of going back to that, that flywheel, I think you know, growth is often put in the middle, but I think it's really the customer experience now, like sales, marketing, support, success is actually all part of that customer experience because day one from when they have an interaction with you, that's part of their, their customer experience journey, which is interesting. Uh, another topic I, I wanted to come on to as we're talking about trends is you know, AI, artificial intelligence. You've got some people who are kind of doom and gloom, like robots are going to take over and wipe us out. You've got other people who are saying, you know, AI is amazing. It makes us more efficient, cuts costs. What, what do you, where do you think AI will sit in the future of customer experience? Yeah, my, my prediction is it will sit at neither one of those extremes. I think predictions about the future that, you know, result in Terminator 2 Skynet scenarios are as unlikely as uh, new technology just going away, right? So neither one of those extremes, I, I think, is what will happen. 
But I, I do think in a world, if we talk about this experience concept again, right? And where where experience really matters and brands want to produce better experiences and compete on experiences. And if we pull a thread from a couple minutes ago too, that, you know, your service motion is a very expensive one because it's human beings. What's going to happen is that companies are going to increasingly look for technology to elevate their service people to do higher value work. So when I look at bots, say, bots at a most basic level are just automation for chat. Chat is a channel that is itself multi-tenant and as a service person, you can do a bunch of that work at the same time. Um, and so bots and chat to me, in the context of the experience are a way for service people to elevate their work to provide a better experience. So instead of doing, you know, basic account setup and basic product education, they're now doing, you know, like really custom solutions for customers are doing more consultative kind of work. They're working on strategy and value delivery, and they're just elevating the work that they're doing. So I think that these new technologies will, yes, replace certain types of work at some level, some percentage, not 100% and also not 0%. They replace certain kinds of basic work. They will allow service people to do higher level work and smart companies will use that whole dynamic to deliver better experience. I don't think smart companies will use that dynamic to eliminate their service teams. I think if you do that, you lose. I don't think smart companies will fail to use this stuff at all because I think if they do that, they'll realize that their service people are stuck in this boring grind of really simplistic work. And so I think there'll be kind of a middle ground where this automation and this technology helps companies be more efficient. But I don't think if you're a service person, you have to worry about your job. You should worry about your skills, your education, and doing more for customers. But in my experience, most service people really are very desirous of doing more and elevating their work out of the basic repetitive stuff into the more strategic work. And so I get excited for that world where service people can kind of rise from the doldrum kind of work they do today into much more interesting stuff as a function of bots, as a function of chat. I'm excited for that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think it's, as, as you're kind of getting at there, it's creating that good, almost handoff and relationship between AI and, um, and your customer service team and, and humans, because AI is, is not meant to replace humans, it's just meant to complement them. And we've even seen that. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will have had that experience where they've gone on a website and they've seen a chatbot. And they've kind of, you know, the first couple of things, it's, it's identified their need well, but then they're getting the same response. They can't get through to a human. Whereas if you can get that chatbot to, to answer a question and then actually route to the, to the right person, that's what's you know, the kind of ideal customer experience. Yeah, I think AI, ML, that whole conversation, like, that is an amazing set of technology. It's actually been around for quite some time, but it's on the, you know, we're in the very first chapter of its commercialization and utilization for, you know, the, the masses of, of companies. And, you know, to me with that, there's certain places where it's very effective and certain places where it's not. I actually see a lot of misuse of this stuff out there, like you're referring to, where you actually have a bad experience because a company's trying too hard to get you into their chatbot flow and you just need to bail out and talk to a person. Um, and I think that over time, it'll, the technology will improve and companies will get better at picking their spots in order to apply the technology. For sure. Um, final question, Michael. Uh, so one of the, I went to an interesting speech recently by a guy called uh, Adrian Swinska, and he was actually talking about the rise of voice, which I thought was quite interesting. And, you know, like uh, Google search, Google voice, kind of, you know, Googling something by speaking. Because um, I think a lot of people were saying, you know, the phone was dead and the phone's obviously still not dead. Um, so what do you think is, you know, the future of voice in, in customer service? Yeah, I think voice is super interesting because there are some people that love it. And it's like their entire house is wired up with Google Home or Alexa or whatnot. And there's some people that just don't get it. And so we created kind of a bifurcation in the market uh, where some, some folks are all about it and they're very passionate about it and some folks aren't. 
I think once again, to service your customers in the way they want to be serviced, to match the channels that they use and match the way they just operate as people who use technology in their day to day. If you are a brand that cares about serving both of those constituencies, the voice enabled and, and the, you know, the kind of Neanderthals who aren't using it yet. If you want to match the way all of your customers work, then you too need to get involved in voice. Once again, the question is how and what to do. Should you create a bot for Alexa? Maybe, right? But what you should do is understand your persona. Do they want that? Does that actually match the way they want to interact with your product and services? Maybe, maybe not. And ask kind of the critical questions as opposed to just jumping to, oh, we got to have this thing because it's a new thing and it's kind of hot and cool, right? So I think voice is a thing. It's here to stay. I do agree with you. In many ways, it's the evolution of phone. It's just in a more sophisticated kind of, um, you know, one-to-many sort of way. Uh, but I think that if you're a company thinking about it, you should think critically, just like with bots and AI, you should think critically about how to actually provide path to value for your customers. And then that might involve implementing a bot, that might involve something simpler, it might involve something more sophisticated, it might involve waiting too until the technology you know, gets to a different place. So I'm actually very, very bullish on it. Uh, I'm very bullish on Adrian in general, by the way. Uh, we talked last week. We're, 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 oh, really? Uh, Amazing. Yeah, we're, we're working, on, working on some content together, too. I think he's very clueful about this. I think there are sort of right now the people that have it, the people that don't have it. And you just need to figure out, do you care about both constituencies, understand your customers well, and understand how they want to interact with you? That lies at the root of any new technology. And then you should be able to understand if this is a yeah. fit for your customers and a fit for your brand. Yeah, for sure. It's, again, across sales, marketing, customer service, customer experience. It's about knowing who your customers are and meeting them, obviously, on the channels where they are. So great. Um, well, yeah, Michael, thank you so much for, for being part of our, our podcast. Really appreciate that. Um, and as I said, um, listeners, rate report state of customer service in 2019. If you Google it, it will be the, the first thing that comes up as HubSpot is so good at SEO. Um, so yeah, pleasure, Michael, and um, look forward to, to collaborating more in the future. Yeah. Thanks so much, Michael. Thanks so much, listeners. I hope everyone has a great rest of the day.